minute. No, hang on. Just, uh, just give me, just bear with me a moment, shall you? Hello, I'm Dr. Norman Swan. Peace of mind can come from knowing the facts. And this is a time when Australians are increasingly worried about COVID-19. And when you're worried, turn to a trusted source. The ABC is covering this epidemic day by day, hour by hour, with the experts. For more information, go to abc.net.au forward slash coronavirus or health.gov.au. Luckily, somebody here knows what's going on. And uh, now I can welcome Celeste officially to the program. Good morning, Celeste. Good morning. Oh, fantastic. How good does that sound, too? Um, oh, thank you. We've embraced uh, what might be the 21st century. New microphone. Oh, really? Really? Yes. Uh, how are things going? The interesting thing, I mean, there's so much to talk about, of course, Celeste. But um, and we should point out, you know, we have a... Uh, Every week at this time, we you know we'd like to talk to somebody in New York, and then we were talking to you in New York, and then you moved to Boston, and but basically it wasn't long after you moved to Boston that this whole thing blew up. So how's it been living in that city when you haven't really got to get to know it yet? It's I did live here a while back uh, as a student briefly and uh, as an intern briefly, but it has been a while. So we were just sort of getting to to know it uh, for me, getting to re-know it and then getting to know it as a married couple. We had only been here a few months, as you say, before uh, we were ordered to stay home all the time. So it has been a bit of a bummer. And I think that, uh, interestingly enough, it's actually contributed to us becoming a part of a conversation that you're hearing a lot more about in the United States right now, which is, should we stay in the city? Should we uh, take this apartment or another apartment in Boston for another year? Or should we consider moving further away from a population center? Would that be safer? And we are definitely going back and forth on whether it really matters. So how would that happen, though? I mean, I, I don't know. I presume you're renting are you, rather than owning. You could just walk away from where you're living and, and move to what, somewhere in the countryside? We were thinking somewhere that might be a, a smaller town, you know, Boston obviously being the, the major city here in Massachusetts, uh, maybe moving uh, you know, 10, 20, 30 miles out of the city. Uh, we live in a, a condo right now. We are renting. I still have my apartment in New York City. Somebody else is living in it at the moment, but uh, maybe taking um, and renting a house, a freestanding house, as opposed to living in an apartment building where we're sharing a common laundry space or an elevator, or stairwells, uh, where there aren't as many people at the grocery store, uh, where when we want to go out for a walk in the evening, we're not sort of dodging other people on the sidewalk and so on. So that's um, that's a decision that we have yet to make, and certainly it has its its ups and downs. Now, speaking of sidewalks or footpaths, we call them in Australia, that has become a topic of conversation in Boston this week. And it's the same in Australia. In fact, cities in Australia are thinking about the same thing, that at the moment there is much, much less traffic. And there's a lot of people walking, whether for exercise or because that's how they want to get around. There's people riding their bikes and all sorts of things. So that has had a huge effect on the streets so what is Boston thinking about doing when it comes to sidewalks, footpaths, whatever? Basically, what they're talking about doing here is expanding the sidewalks into um, some of the driving lanes so that people do have 
uh, a wider berth to avoid each other going around uh, going around each other as they're walking from here to there. Boston does have a public transportation system and people have cars, but it is a very walkable city. Uh, I have I'm getting around without a car uh, as it is right now, and it's just you want to encourage people to to uh, be able to get to where they're going safely once the stay-at-home order is lifted, and that's supposed to be coming up here fairly soon. So they just want to make sure that people are also not endangering themselves by walking in bike lanes, walking in the street just to avoid other pedestrians, which is something that I do see now. And to be honest with you, you know, full disclosure, something I do myself. If I see somebody coming towards me on the sidewalk, I might step into the bike lane and so on to uh, to stay uh, at, a, at a safe distance from other people. And eventually that is a case where the uh, the cure might be worse than the disease. It's not mm. great to try to avoid getting COVID if you get run over by a truck. Sp- uh, um, Boston does have a beautiful transport system. We've got a train system. We've got a tram system. How is that coping, though? Because people have been discouraged from using public transport because they don't want to be, uh, you know, crammed up in the same train carriage or tram carriage together. Yeah, it's been frustrating for people. I think that that uh, non-essential businesses, of course, in Massachusetts have remained closed. That is going to change eventually and very gradually. We are just sort of on the cusp, we think, we think, of starting to reopen Massachusetts here. And so uh, getting around has been an issue. Uh, people are not comfortable taking public transportation. If you look at a train going by, you'll see that it's practically empty. Mm. Uh, the stations are not busy and so on. But that that cannot last forever. The question is, how do you bring things back in a gradual way? Do you only let a certain number of people into stations or on trains at a time? How do you maintain safe social distances? Um, you know, I have uh, I have some World War II um, postcards of of uh, you know sort of yeah. postcards of posters that were dem- that were uh, displayed at the time, and there's one that I'm thinking of which says you know. Uh, walk if you can, leave the trains for people with longer journeys. Are we going to be on that kind of wartime footing where you sort of make a calculation? Do I need to take the train? Can I walk? Maybe there's somebody else who can walk. So how big is Boston then? Do you have a lot of people living outside the main city centre there? It's not like New York that would be catching the train or catching some sort of public transport into the city? Because we've also got these huge freeways. I don't know, some of them have been closed down. We do have uh, we do have a pretty robust public transportation system in Boston, and we do have people who use it. There is a a subway system, but there's also basically a light rail system that goes further out, and so people are able to live comfortably ten or twenty miles away and commute into the city for their jobs. Um, there, the population of Boston proper is around seven hundred thousand people. So, uh, but there are certainly a lot of people living uh, in the metro area in the suburbs and uh, it is a it is the major employment center it is the capital so you have government buildings government operations here as well and it's complicated bringing all that stuff back also just an unbelievable number of universities or colleges or institutes of technology i mean boston probably has more than of them than any other city in the world per head of population or in fact just in in you know actual numbers doesn't it 
Yeah, I think that we've we've talked about that a little bit. The the density of of colleges and universities here, uh, teaching hospitals and so on is is incredible. It was it has been referred to as the Athens of America for being sort of a center of learning. And we're also waiting to see here in Boston how that's going to change when kids are going to come back if they're going to come back. There are some colleges in the United States that have already stated that the fall semester will be taught online, will be done remotely. Mm. So, um, you know, we're we're waiting to see and of course the students are waiting to see uh, what their next year is going to look like. So what happens to the economy of Boston and Massachusetts generally if that does happen? If all those students who work there and who spend their money there, what happens if they don't come, if they all stay home? And what happens, in fact, to the entire college system? Because in Australia, for those who go to university, generally, not always, but 90% of the time, I'm sure, people are going to universities in their own city we don't have that whole, you know, culture of going away to college, whatever. Whereas it's huge in the US. What happens to the whole college economy? I think for Massachusetts and for Boston in particular, for the Boston area, not having college students around is is uh, I don't want to call it a death blow to the economy, but it is excruciatingly painful. These are students who are spending money on rental apartments, on restaurants, on books, on clothes, on entertainment, are uh, contributing to every single part of the economy. They're on, on the flip side, they are also a big part of the workforce here. You know, you have kids who are working uh, in food service, in uh, delivery service, in childcare, dog walking, uh, you know, every, every possible thing that you could think of, tutoring. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. And then there are students who do that during the school year and then stay on during the summers to work as well, to make money for college and provide services to the people, you know, those of us who live here. Um, it is it is an absolutely seismic, seismic change for Boston to be bereft of its college students. And uh, that is something that people are are very much worried about. But at the same time, you know, again, you can't bring people back and just sort of flip the economy back on like a switch and say that, uh, you know, everybody should just come back and resume doing exactly what they were doing. There are, are even cases in the United States in terms of talking about what this is doing to the college industry. Uh, there are some cases where uh, students have been told to leave their campuses, to go online and so on. Uh, people are talking about class action lawsuits, even demanding refunds from their colleges and universities for not providing the education that they contracted for when they paid tuition. So this is, it's a mess. Mm. You even had, was it some armed people in the streets demanding for things to be reopened? Did that happen in Massachusetts as well? We've had some protests here. I think every state house has had some protesters. You certainly have not seen the degree or of demonstrations that you have seen in other states, of Michigan, for example, where you've had people uh, congregating around the state house. You've had people going to the homes of governors in different states. Some of those people are uh, openly armed. Um, which is legal in some states. I don't think in Massachusetts you could exactly get away with uh, walking around openly, openly carrying a firearm in that 
quite that same way. But yeah, there has been some civil unrest in the United States about uh, regarding demands for the economy to open back up. There were some very, um, very iconic photographs from one of the demonstrations that I recall of people uh, in a truck shouting out the window about how they wanted businesses to reopen and, you know, the closure of the economy was killing people. And the, st- the street was being blocked by a couple of silent healthcare workers yes. wearing scrubs and masks. And they were just saying, you know, stop, you have to stop. This cannot be allowed to happen. People will die. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because it all depends on how it all works out. Um, those people say the armed uh, you know, people who want to open, reopen businesses and the economy are saying, well, th- we're defending the Constitution and our right for f- to free assembly and free speech and all that sort of thing. But, of course, other people say, well, no, actually, you are attacking the Constitution because you're in open revolt against an elected government. I think that that is... We are not at the point of what you would officially call a constitutional crisis, but as is often the case, the Constitution is being used to defend uh, both sides of the same argument um, in just the way you're describing. And part of that is healthy, part of that is normal, part of that is to be expected because, look, everyone's been trapped in their houses for weeks. People are experiencing severe, severe economic anxiety. You have millions of people in the United States out of work, people working part-time, people on furlough, people who are not sure if they'll have a job to come back to once uh, things start to open up and businesses start to reassess. And it's just a real time of uncertainty and fear and anger in the United States, as I'm sure it has been elsewhere in, in other places where the virus has really has really taken its toll. Now, someone who might be worried about his job is uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, and he uh, testified to the Senate this week saying that basically it's too early to open, that um, uh, infectious disease, uh, sorry, that getting business and schools back open too quickly would lead to unnecessary suffering and death. This is what the president had to say about that. Look, he wants to play all sides of the equation, but no, uh, we're opening our country. People want it open. Yeah, people want it open. Uh, and he, he said, uh, I was surprised by his answer. Trump, has, uh, Trump said, it's just to me, it's not an acceptable answer, especially when it comes to schools. So we're having the same discussion here in Australia, but I think Australia is a bit further on in flattening the curve than the US. What's happening here? I think that what people are looking at is this very uh, this very dramatic and very painful conflict that we have between getting uh, getting back to our lives and protecting our lives. Uh, that sounds sort of simplistic, but that's really what it comes down to. And uh, for the part of the president, I think obviously he is very anxious for a lot of reasons to get Americans back to work, back to school, to get the economy back up. We do have an election coming up in November. And so all of those things are at play. But the legitimate truth is people need to work. They need to make money. Uh, There were stimulus checks that went out to some people, not all people, but that's not going to last forever. And uh, 
you know, the the fact of the matter is that even if we delay longer now, sorry about the uh, they're coming to get me. Um, <laughs> if they uh, if if we delay now, we can't delay forever, and there may be um, there may be an even worse problem, unfortunately, this winter when you have uh, a potential resurgence of COVID nineteen coupled with seasonal flu. And just yeah. a lot of people getting sick, confusion. Um, we will not have a vaccine by then from from all accounts. So that's that's a problem. And Fauci's not saying to keep the country closed forever, but he is saying that uh, if you do this the wrong way, uh, people will suffer and people will die. And I think Trump does certainly he doesn't want to hear that. I'm not going so far as to say he wants people to die. I don't think that's what we're talking about here. But he also... Uh, he is under tremendous external and internal, and if you want to guess, political pressure to get things going, to keep people uh, from going from going wild, from being under lockdown too long without answers and without money. But do, do you think it's also that this has been a battle, not only in this administration, but in previous administrations as well, between science and listening to experts and going with your gut which is basically what the president says you know like this is it's up here this, this is in my mind this is what i think should happen and it doesn't matter whether it's climate change which we can't see the the uh, immediate um results of that yet necessarily not uh, as obviously perhaps as coronavirus and here we are in a situation where there is uh, someone with great credibility dr fauci who's worked with six administrations not just with this one and not just with the last one and there's this kind of wrestle going on that trump cannot be seen to fire this bloke because it would be seen as as getting rid of someone he obviously disagrees with fauci has uh, very good poll numbers <laughs> I know that sounds like a, a preposterous thing to say about uh, a learned man who is our, our basically at this moment our top public health official, but I think Trump is the sort of person who would factor that in, would make the calculation that um, Fauci going against Fauci is not necessarily going to be a winner for him politically. And for obvious reasons, he has to think politically right now because he's defending uh, his office for a second term in just a few months. Primaries are already underway. He's defending it now. And so, um, you know, the idea that that there has to be that conflict and, and Fauci is is not um, – Fauci is very careful about how he approaches questions about what he thinks uh, of the president's attitudes about reopening or about vaccines or about, uh, you know, is there a way to inject things into the body or perhaps using sunlight to uh, yeah. to to purge us all of this terrible of this terrible disease. Fauci wants to hang on to his job. He he's in a, a critical position. The United States needs him frankly. Um, but he's seen also what's happened to other people, uh, people like uh, Rick Bright, Dr. Rick Bright. He's uh, giving testimony uh, even today. Um, he's the head, he's the former head of something called the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority. And he's become a whistleblower because he said he lost his job when he complained uh, about uh, 
people disregarding warnings about public safety and about treatments regarding coronavirus. He was he was shelved. He was he was iced. And so he's come forward to talk about that publicly. And at this moment, uh, President Trump is is expressing some less than warm and loving feelings about him. Mm. So Fauci's aware of the fact that this is something that you, you want to handle very carefully. Because it's the very thing that people have criticized the Chinese for, that there was a doctor early on that was trying to warn people about coronavirus and he was effectively silenced. And in fact, I think he eventually, sadly, tragically died from it. So they don't want to be doing exactly the same thing as uh, happened in China and while criticising China for it. Thankfully, in Australia, that has not happened, that uh, their politicians are leaving uh, leaving the science to the scientists. Although someone has texted in to say, throughout all this lockdown where people have lost employment or taken pay cuts, not one politician has been financially affected, not one has made any pay cut or been stood down. What sac- sacrifice have any of them made? Uh, and finally then, um, well, this was an interesting thing, that there was a pub was going to become an antibody testing site. How long did that last? It uh, did not last very long. It, uh, yeah, it was uh, in Cambridge, which is uh, right here next to Boston. And they thought it'd be a good idea to sort of revamp the place. They weren't doing uh, their usual business as a, a restaurant or a bar. So they made themselves into an antibody testing site for COVID-19. And that did not last very long at all. They got shut down. And it sort of, I think the the quote from the, the vice mayor of Cambridge was that it was, it was odd and concerning to see a restaurant go from serving food to being a phlebotomy site and that is just that that was kind of a a non-starter so maybe you know a for creativity uh uh, f for uh (laughs) for carrying that out fully but the whole thing about this business is things that we thought were impossible are now inevitable and you know we've seen you know where they hold the u.s open tennis turned into a makeshift makeshift hospital so turning a pub into an antibody testing site i don't think that's the weirdest thing we're going to see in this whole time celeste thank you very much for uh, our chat of course this morning we'll look forward to talking to you again in a couple of weeks hopefully some better news by then I hope so. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Celeste Katz in Boston. How good did that Skype sound, by the way? That sounded fantastic. We're going to roll that out with everybody. Why should we be the last ones to adopt it? Uh, So, yeah, that's fantastic. Thanks very much, Celeste. Coming up tomorrow morning, of course, Kevin uh, Ott in Hollywood will be our very special guest. Um, And also tomorrow morning, Lucy.